for the most for the most part the art space is always remains relatively steady even throughout recessions even sometimes even uh, seeing upticks because people decide to use uh, you know like traditional assets like art pieces as a good hedge against keeping their money in sort of in, in, in different asset classes and the team are very excited to introduce our very own podcast called the BS Podcast. This podcast is built to dive into the minds of NFT artists and icons. Uh, we will be interviewing NFT artists, collectors, builders, genuine DJs within the NFT space. This first podcast, uh, we're joined with the Blank Studio team, uh, Zeppi, Wolfie, and myself. We're going to chat absolute shit about uh, ourselves, the different path we took and the ultimate vision that we have for the blank studio uh, going forward. And uh, and yeah, uh, so, let, so we're going to start off by just uh, giving a brief introduction. And uh, Zeppi, if you want to uh, introduce yourself a little bit, then we can move on to Wolf. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks so much, Max. Yeah, so my name is Zeppi, and um, I've been a builder, analyst, educator, coach, <laughs> advisor in the space for about uh, the best part of a year and a year and three months now. So it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a far longer than I thought it would have been. Um, but it's also felt a lot longer, I think as well. I think every month in this space feels like a year. Um, but yeah, no, my, my background is in web two development. I was actually a software developer for the longest amount of time before I came and joined web three. Um, when I did come to join web three, I fell in love with the idea of NFTs being a narrative medium and a narrative investment vehicle, which I thought was really interesting uh, and just a really, it's such a great way to to create emotion in, in something that you're investing in, but also all the possibilities and all the utilities that were being unlocked by NFTs at the time and all the new use cases that we were finding for them. And so, yeah, I was, I was hooked from the moment I, I, I came in. So yeah, I've been working for about a year. I've been, um, I've worked with lots of different products. I think over 30 products at this point on, on sort of in different capacities. I've started my own educational, uh, project as well called Unfiltered. I've worked on lots of different projects, including, uh, Blank Studio, which I'm the current CTO. Um, yeah, really, really happy to be here. So I've been in the space for around a year as well. Um, been a lateral thinker, people organizer and professional fudder for the best part of a year. Um, I think people like to say that I'm responsible for bit I'm responsible for Bitcoin not hitting 100k. Um, just because I've been trading since around the age of 13, 14. So I've got about six years' experience in the market. Um, and it was quite obvious that we were overextended last year. But this space has been beautiful. I mean, I've always um, wanted to work from home or work on something a little bit outside the box. My dad was one of the first pioneers of cloud software when that was coming about, um, which is just like this, a very emerging market at the time. So working in this sort of gave me the opportunity to work from home and work in a way that most people don't get to work in their whole life. Um, and I think at this young age, I've sort of gotten used to it. And I've just, I'm nothing but grateful, to be honest, um, from the fact that I'm able to work in a space like this, a lot more freedom, uh, a lot more fun, and a lot more innovative and crazy ideas that I get to try and try and fail on. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you but guys that's for that. Um, a little bit about me is uh, I came I came from the financial industry. Uh, my first job was, uh, was in a hedge fund. I uh, got introduced to crypto uh, crypto trading and uh, and VC backed uh, projects, and then uh, and then moved kind of a little bit to the corporate side of things, uh, mainly dealing with shareholder intelligence and uh, talking with uh, different investment funds uh, to get their insight into their uh, into their investment vehicles. Uh, then then you know got quite bored, uh, jumped into this space also um, late last year or in the uh, around uh, October or 
what, August? I think you touched on something there, Max, that is actually quite important, the idea of getting bored. Um, I also was working for a fund uh, just before I joined the space. Um, just, you know, classic trading, commodities, stuff like that. But I think something that brings us all together is that everyone in the space is extremely ambitious, for better or for worse. I mean, for some people, it's their hubris. Um, a few projects I'm, I've worked on, I'm not going to name names, have just, you know, sort of turned around and fucked themselves over by their own ambition. You know, fucking people over going down the wrong routes. But I think that's something that really brings us together because of the low barriers to entry to this space. Um, and just because of the crazy amount of investment that there is, it allows you to execute on ideas very fast and ideas that are very innovative. As long as the marketing's there and, you know, people can get behind it, they sort of believe in your vision. There's never really been an opportunity like this in as long as since probably 2017 ICO boom, um, you know, it's sort of, and even now in a bear market, we still see projects like Valhalla with a 0.5 ETH min price, um, which will likely fucking sell out. What's that? 5,000 ETH they're raising. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so it's really cool to see that a space like this is this early and has this much investment and this much interest in it. Um, you know, I think that idea of being bored and that huge ambition is is something that really brings us all together in this space. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, Ben. And also, also I would just like to say, you know, everybody, uh, you know, team has such different backgrounds, but we all came together to, to kind of bring up, uh, the idea of, uh, of blank studio and, uh, and what, what it is that we really want to achieve and, uh, and the vision and the mission behind it. So, so basically, uh, a quick uh, rundown on myself, why I started Blank Studios back in back in March uh, is to really uh, have uh, built a organic community of art lovers. Uh, that, that, that's the, uh, that, that was a goal. And, uh, you know, in May, we did our first innovative canvas project and that was super successful. In my opinion, you know, we delivered, we were able to deliver something that hasn't been done before. And I personally really liked how the canvas looks and, uh, and the ability to really interact with it. Uh, open C, you know, fast time, uh, fast forward a little bit, you know, we hit our, our ups and downs, uh, we mitigated certain, uh, certain barriers and, uh, we got ourselves into a position where we we're able to launch a a blank token which is going to be the all access mint pass for the future blank studio endeavors really uh making a, the studio into a creative studio uh forging a kind of a new paradigm for for community oriented art creation and ownership you know that that's our main goal to really have uh the the community the artist all in one studio to uh, to bring out the best curated art pieces or the best projects uh, that is backed by one single utility and that is art. Okay. So, so I was like, what if we're able to build just a blank canvas and kind of uh, have the drawings directly as the NFT itself? I absolutely like I just absolutely love it. Like I, I love the fact that your blank canvas was just a shower thought because it was at the time when people talked about it was it was so so revolutionary and people were so like I mean every single person that we spoke to about it they're like hold on what like the NFT itself is the canvas and people didn't really get it at first they were like do I have to go on a website to draw on this I'm like no 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 your NFT is the canvas and they didn't even know this was possible they didn't even know this was an idea that would work and so it was you know I I, I really do 
Echo, how how just how innovative the the idea was at the time, and you know, obviously it, it did it did really well at the time. We launched it with an incredibly sort of exclusive. I still remember the first time that you came to me with the idea as well, because I think it was very very shortly after you had that idea within in, in your shower, and then you sort of came and, and gave me a call at the time. I, I was walking my dog, and you were just so excited about the possibility of this, and I was like, wait, is this even technically possible? And then I was like, from a from a technical point of view, I was running away and sort of thinking about, okay, what 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 would we need to do programmatically speaking to get this working? And we found an incredibly talented developer that we worked with um, to to make this a reality over the next uh, couple of months of time as well, which was just you know, again, we we started having so many interactions with the space, and every single one of them, I had never seen a project resonate as well as the canvas now, and then its natural evolution, which was the blank token. It, it makes me laugh. It just makes me laugh because for me, obviously the technical aspect is what drew, drew used to it. For me, it was the innovation and just the fact that like, when you called me Zeppi, I was like, I'm not sure about this. You know, just hop on a call with them and he'll explain it. It'll make sense. Because the first thought it was like, so you're selling them nothing. Like you're selling them literally a white fucking canvas. Like you're not, you're not, you're not giving them anything. Um, and then he's just, <laughs> then he started to talk and it started to make sense. You know, we get the right people to have these canvases. If you're Shan or if you're Nomad, or if there's one, you're one of those big names in the space, then your community will go onto your canvas and they'll draw something to, for you and you'll, they'll submit it. And you can then have that as your NFT. Um, and some of the, I think someone drew like a complete fucking Kaiju King. Like there's some incredible drawings on there. And- oh God. Yeah. The, 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 the holders and the community have like absolutely floored us with what they were able to do. Because none, none, none of the founding team are good artists. Like I should, I should add this, right? But like when the, when we had like the when we let this site, it's kind of like when you open your creation up to the community and you see what they're able to do with it and do like within within the first month of like even within the first couple of weeks. I remember like some of the like there were some really good Pokemon submissions. There were some really cool Kaiju Kings, Gorgiras, Disto Apes. Like loads of amazing, amazing submissions. Zooverse, loads of Zooverse drawings. The Zooverse community really latched onto it at the time. So yeah, there was some really cool stuff that came out of it. The thing that I liked is it just allowed free-flowing thought. I mean, it was just, yeah, like you said, it's just a little bit fucking wild. I had no idea how it was going to be received. And seeing, you know, all the big names in the space mint it and seeing like all these cool drawings, I was like, this is this is pretty fucking cool. And then, yeah, evolved into what, what we have now. If you want to speak about the evolution, Max, I think that would be a good idea. Didn't, uh, like, kind of foresee the blank token being created, right? Um, but... Uh, how how it came about is like we want to be able to expand the community in a way that um is tailored towards artists and collectors. And in order to do this, uh, you know, at the time I know a lot of artists, I know a lot of collectors that is very passionate about Tezos, about about collecting art blocks, generate not only just 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 generative art, but also like one for one art. And um and the consensus and the kind of the through through research and development, uh, it's like having having a mint pass or having the having a token that is tailored towards uh, unique art releases is probably the best idea uh, at the time to do it. And but you know we wanted to put a little bit of spin on it. We don't we didn't just want to do a free mint pass uh, for people to collect and be able to mint our future curated collections. We wanted to add something a little bit extra. And you know this evolution took like a couple of months to develop. Uh, the the kind of uh, the 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 secret sauce, uh, in my opinion, to having a free mint is adding on top of that. And what we added on top of it is the vinyls. Uh, so we didn't we believe to kind of like the uh, the space 
it's really tailored and really focused towards uh, digital art that is not inclusive of music. So we wanted to put music and broaden our reach a little bit and uh, and make sure that we isolate not only the art creations, but also music creations. So, so what we did is that if you have two blank tokens, you're able to burn into a vinyl token. So this vinyl token then will be the ultimate access pass into, into our uh, ecosystem. So what these vinyls uh, essentially uh, is able to do is that they will, uh, I think, wait, uh, before I get into that, there's only going to be 700 vinyls that's going to be available. Uh, that's that's stated in our contract. And how, how it works is that the... It's going to be on the same contract. It's kind of like a merge function. Uh, you burn two of the blank tokens that is uh, numbered between number zero to number 1399. And all the preceding numbers after that, the tokens that are uh, 1400 and beyond, these tokens are vinyl tokens. Uh, throughout, the, throughout the time, we kind of reviewed what these tokens look like. They are, uh, their metadata got updated to have a more distinctive uh, kind of... Uh, look on OpenSea so people have know exactly the difference between the two. And now the vinyls have five possible kind of songs that is created by Esgar, uh, a really close friend of mine uh, that is named uh, focusing partially Goon Squad, Snack, Sneep Deep, and uh, Stars Falling. Currently, there is no difference between the between the vinyl tokens, but it doesn't mean that in the future uh, there won't be divided into more kind of uh, sub-parliaments. But right now, uh, they have their separate lounges in our Discord. The holders have exclusive early access and uh, percentage discounts. If applicable, uh, the percentage discounts won't be uh, for every single collection. So, so also going into a little bit of the supply, of the collections, uh, like if we have a collection that is under 700 supply, for example, and uh, almost all the all the blank tokens got burnt into uh, a vinyl, only the vinyl holders will have a guaranteed mint. Uh, any collection that is over 700, the vinyls will be the first to mint, and uh, then the then we'll go to blank blank tokens. Then we'll go to public allowed list mint. Then eventually it will be switched to a a public mint. So the, the, this uh, currently is the way that we're going to go about our new newest collection uh, by Alejandro Brodosio. Uh, he is a very well-known artist in the Tezos uh, space and on foundation. Uh, his latest work got sold for 20.1 ETH uh, on his first, first piece of art he ever released uh, on art station and uh, kind of the, the piece of work that really brought him into the digital uh, digital space. Alejandro is one of the biggest reasons that I'm angry. I can't speak Spanish. Um, because when you hear him speak, I have absolutely no idea what the hell he's saying. When I speak, speak a bit of French, so some of it I get, but I can feel the passion and just the, the wisdom in his voice. And I thank God he's got a translator, but still I want to like hear it raw from him because it just, it sounds so passionate come from him when he's speaking about his work and working on this universe he's been creating for however many yeah, years. Was, uh... It, it was really, uh, really cool uh, to really get to know him on a really deep level because I worked with him uh, for, for the last couple of months. And uh, all, throughout the whole conversation, it's like, you know, when he have questions, he doesn't hesitate to ask you. You know, when, uh, he's always been a one-for-one -one artist and never really tapped into the generative art scene. 
and uh, you know, well, walking him through and trying to come up with ways in order to embrace his uh, kind of, uh, his really really talented strokes and his attention to detail into a uh, into a banner project. It was difficult. It was really difficult to to put everything that he wanted to do, uh, and we we didn't want to overpopulate. Uh, the kind of the banner. So uh, what we did is like we had to we had to pick pick and choose the things that we we, we will include. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of traits that in the end we had to scrape, uh, which is really sad. But we still ended up with 247 different traits on this banner project. I think is is absolutely phenomenal what he did. Uh, you know, I'm going. I'm going to personally collect a lot of these uh, of these banners. I just think you know the amount of work that he's put forward, and uh, because I have personal relationship with him, uh, I know what he what he's doing. I know the kind of kind of uh, art that he wants to be able to provide in the future as well. Uh, he have been an absolute pleasure to work with, and we will have him on the show. Uh, in the coming in the coming few days, so stay tuned for that. Uh, it will be released to our vinyl holders first, then it will be released to the general public. Uh, there are a lot of other artists uh, that is going to join our podcast uh, as we go. Uh, the the few that is going to join our podcast will be our first few uh, artists that is working on a curated collection with us. Okay, so that will be from the Generative Music Record label uh, that will be released in December to a few generative artists in 2023. So very excited to share with you guys on uh, on those kind of uh, collections as well. Uh, we're not going to be speaking exclusively exclusively about those collections, but we're going to get to know the artists a little bit better before they release it as well, because uh, we're still working through it and working really hard to get the best outcomes and best generative outputs as well. Yeah, so honestly, it's such, such a cool... And like, one of the things that I, I know, I, I kind of asked myself as well initially when we launched, when we launched the initial idea for Blank Studio, um, we wanted to, one of the core visions has always been to celebrate creativity and, ex, and, and expression. And I think the, the cool thing is that the, the, the first, for me, it's always really important about the narrative of, of, of anything that we, that we build. It has to have a consistent narrative. It has to have a consistent experience. You know, the initial, and our initial offering was here is a tool to express yourself with. And it's a tool that, that hopefully the Web3 space can use and leverage and it can spark other ideas potentially for, you know, for other communities and products to do this as well. But here's a tool that the Web3 space can express themselves with and have this cross-community collaboration. But going forward, you know, here's some of the, you know, here's, here's now a community that values these ideas and values the you know, forms of expression, values the forms of creativity that we're championing, um, not just on a technological sense, but also on you know the, the visual and the uh, and the artistic side as well. Um, and being able to take that forward with what we're doing with the vinyls and bringing on amazing artists like Alejandro and um, other other incredible artists of that caliber to come on board and uh, and showcase their creativity. Right, and with with a group of like-minded individuals, with a group with with this community that we've built over time, for me that makes so much sense, and it also creates such an incredible vibe as well within the community because you have there you have people who all appreciate this sort of stuff, but also it's such a fantastic um, 
I've I've seen quite a few people also say that when they're coming into the community, it's such an amazing introduction to the space because a lot of times they are, you know, that there is this separation between art and community within within the NFT space, and it's because of how you know this dichotomy that we've created between PFPs and traditional art NFTs and. The, the bridge between them has always been a bit shaky recently because, um, you know, either it's a community-based NFT and that's usually a PFP that has, you know, like PFP, PFP NFTs have always been such a strong, even banner profile to a degree, but PFP is definitely more so been a much stronger form of community driven NFTs. You know, you get, a, you get a PFP, you put it on Twitter. I know which community belong, where you belong to. I know what you stand for sort of, you know, I kind of like, I, I have an idea of sort of the family that you come from so to speak. But you don't do that with an art block. So you don't do that with a Fidenza. And I think we were talking about this last time as well, Max, during one of the um, during one of the uh, Twitter space AMAs that we did. Um, but interestingly enough, I think uh, collectives like Blank Studio offer such a great bridge in between community and art where they can have you know, the, the, the kind of the best of both worlds where they can come in and they can spend time with like-minded individuals, but also experience the sort of this community, this sense of kind of gathering together and, um, and appreciating kind of all of the work that these guys are producing, uh, but being able to share in that together, being able to benefit from that together as well. And kind of in the sense of collecting and everything and, and growing and growing themselves within the space as well. Yeah. Um- yeah, and uh, I think one topic that we can't really uh, kind of avoid is uh, the current market conditions, right? Uh, one one of the one of the biggest things that uh, our team has always been uh, talking about is, you know, how can we build Blank Studio in a way that we can navigate through these volatile market conditions and not be heavily affected by them? Uh, this is something that you know we take it. Uh, really deep down in our hearts to try to um, mitigate as much uh, market market risk as we can and uh, try to isolate those. Uh, and instead of uh, being a volatile collection, we're being a volatile uh, market, uh, well, sorry, be affected by the market volatility. Uh, we try to have like a more stable growth. And, you know, uh, in this space, it's really hard to, to, get rid of all the market movements uh, is something that cannot be avoided, but it's something that we are trying and we hope and we aim to, to kind of uh, be less uh, affected by the general market um, movement as a whole. So, uh, so yeah, I want to open up the discussion to Ben and, uh, and Zeppi, uh, what you guys think of the market conditions is right now and uh, what kind of things that we can do to like, avoid uh, being heavily impacted by the fall of FTX, by the uh, kind of general downtrend of and recession of the of the general uh, macro economy. It's yeah, it's really worrying. I will say that we're fortunate we have um, such a good insight on the market on the team. You know, all of our launches have gone very successfully because we've sort of known how to play it. Both the launches were in horrible times, um, Canvas DAO and the Freemint, the, the token. The reason they did well, you know, the Canvas DAO, we just got the right people behind it. That's what you had to do, get the right people behind it. So people see these people are minting and it can work out. On the free token, you know, we had to really calculate the best day to do it because it was such a horrible time in the market. You have to find a day where there's liquidity. And we decided to mint on the same day as a few other projects with the Freemint, just because we knew there'd be liquidity. Unfortunately, that played out. 
Um, if you're a project founder, it's very difficult right now. Knowing when to mint, knowing what to do with your funds, it can be really scary and overwhelming. Uh, with this FTX fallout, the one thing I will say is almost every single uh, bull run that's happened in crypto, the bear is ended by an exchange collapse. And this is a fucking massive one. This is a big exchange collapse. And I think the fact that we haven't felt the full contagion yet, I mean, obviously we collapsed down from 1,600, 1,700 underneath down to 1,200, 1,300. That's not really the sort of collapse that happens when an exchange collapses. Uh, you know, that, that when an exchange collapses, you're looking at a 50% drop, a 40% drop. We didn't see that. And we are going to see that. So I do still think in the future, there's going to be a lot more fallout and a lot more contagion. You know, it's getting propped up by something right now. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe they want to run the market up one last time to just get everyone out of their shorts and then before they drop it. Um, but I will say, if you're a project founder, we are approaching the end. If you've been holding stables for a long time, if you've been smart and you haven't been trying to day trade the market, you were coming to a really good point. If you have the balls to wait for, you know, below 1K on ETH and and sort of go back into your ETH funds there. Obviously, non-financial advice to do your own research, but that would be a very smart move. Um, you know, we know that below 1K is an incredible level to buy an Ethereum, completely disregarding anything else with the macro conditions. We know it's a great a great place to buy an Ethereum. And seeing as we've been in a bear market for almost a year now, um, or what I class a bear market for almost a year, I'd say we're coming to the end, which I'll say, say there is hope. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's stressful, man. Trying to launch a project, you know, trying to manage your funds. I understand as a founder, it can be stressful. Um, but as long as you're smart and you're patient is the main thing, you know, you're waiting for your figure and you you go in when you get to your figure, then I think you'll be okay. The uh, it, It's so interesting because um, <laughs> like right now, yeah, the market the market is in a really, really difficult state. And also, yeah, capitulation hasn't fully become, begun yet, but it's... um. It's well on the way, and uh, we've seen a lot of we, just the FTX fallout. Has I think I was I was running some numbers on just the sort of the blue chip and <laughs> the blue chip NFTs, which tend to be not as volatile as the as, as the rest of the uh, NFT space right now. And I think even across blue chips, I think the estimated value that it's dropped across the whole space is somewhere between fifty to seventy percent value, which is crazy. Right, you know, just uh, and and that's that's on blue, quote unquote blue chip NFTs or what I would define here as blue chip NFT. I don't even like this definition, but NFTs that have been around for a long time that have held a steady, you know, multi ETH floor price. You know, that have just been around for a long, a, a good amount of time, and it's been it, it's just kind of shocking to see. It, it's shocking to see that much value just wiped away from the NFT space so quickly, but it's also completely expected, right? Because people need to de-risk, especially as we, especially when you look at the macro uh, state of things. You know, we're we're heading into essentially what is a global recession, and people need like every single time that that happens, you know, the, the riskiest asset classes are always the first ones to lose a huge amount of. Um, market capital um, and a lot of liquidity gets drawn out of them. But we're also seeing, and I, I spoke about this several times, but this is really important to, to emphasize again, we're seeing a migration from you know, because because Ben talked uh, very much about sort of how you would play the crypto side of things with that, you know, buying into ETH, and I completely agree there. And right now, very much following the advice, I've got all of my money sitting in stables, just waiting out, you know, until we can get to a really good uh, support position on Ethereum, uh, which is pro uh, potentially that sub 1K level. Now, from a NFT perspective, I think, you know, the NFTs that haven't lost their value, interestingly enough, are, are, are the art NFTs. They don't actually tend to, like, they are completely independent because they're collector pieces. You know, the Fidenzas and the and the R blocks, they don't tend to ever they feel like they're losing that much value in general. Uh, 
collections on Tezos and FX Hash, they don't tend to lose their value that, that quickly either. They tend to hold onto and retain value much, much better because it's they mirror the traditional art space. And the traditional art space is actually also very, very similar. Yes, there is usually some sell-offs because people need to pad their positions, prior to the taxi, etc. And there is a little bit of sell-offs in the art space. But for the most, for the most part, the art space is always remains relatively steady, even throughout recessions, even sometimes even uh, seeing upticks because people decide to use, uh, you know, like traditional assets like art pieces as a good hedge against keeping their money in sort of in, in, in different asset classes. Now, because the NFT space is so immature, we, you wouldn't quite expect to see the same thing, but we actually are seeing what is what I believe is actually the start of, of, of this of this happen. And we've already seen it happen several times, and I think it will continue to happen within the NFT space. When we enter into times like this, we see a lot of liquidity get dr- dr- like drained out of every other collection that people just don't have faith in. And they're looking to put their money into collections and looking to put their money into NFTs that they know that they think at least will survive the, the, the bear period, that will survive the recession. Why? Because if you can put your money on it now, then you're probably potentially bidding on the next four day. You're potentially bidding on that next Fidenza. You're potentially bidding on the next moonshot that will, you know, if it shows that this is, it's going to survive this really tough period of time and then get to the other side of it. Then when, when, when the bull market does resume, everyone goes, Oh, which, which projects managed to survive this period? And then everyone buys into those projects. And that's when they, that's when you'll see huge amounts of gains on the other side of things. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing this, right? Every single time that any of these projects like Doodles or any, or Digi or any of the other products are announcing any level of investment. They're like, hey, look, we've, we've raised 50 million or hey, look, we raised 200 million. Like people go, oh, amazing. That's going to be enough, mo- way more than enough money to, for them to survive these two years. And in fact, to grow during these two years of like, you know, taking like the worst case potential of, of, of how long this, this bear period might last for the NFT space. And if, if, if they can survive two years, then it's worth putting my money in them as, as, as an asset and, and holding it there because the upside, I like some people as investors can't afford not to do that because they're like, well, look at the upside. If, if, if they do survive for two years, then they will might very well 10x, 20x, 30x in value. And then I'll have been the person that, that, that held them early. So that's currently. There's something, yeah, there's something you said there, Zeppi, a little bit earlier on that I really want to bring it back to because you made a really important distinction. Um, when you're talking about the people from crypto buying into NFTs, it's sort of, we never had NFTs before on Ethereum in this, you know, this level. And what they've become, become almost is an index. You know, and people are really confident in the crypto markets and people are really making a lot of money. NFTs go up because they're making so much money on Ethereum. They're saying, what other avenues are there for me to invest in on this platform? Um, and it makes a big distinction between, and the reason the FX hash art space doesn't fool that much is because the kind of people that are buying the Ethereum NFTs are speculators and investors that want to make a profit. The kind of people that are buying the FX hash art NFTs are not speculators or investors, they're collectors. When you're a collector, you're not worried about your price fluctuating up and down. You paid this much for the art, 50 grand. The art's worth 50 grand. You've labeled it that value. You're not going to let it go for less because you love the art and you have a reason to hold it. That distinction is really important because it's sort of what Blank's all about. Um, we've seen this. We saw that these sort of these collectors, these buyers that exist on FX Hash are very different from the buyers on Ethereum. And with this index you have on Ethereum, when Ethereum goes down and people get scared, they exit all their NFTs because they don't really give a fuck about the NFT at the end of the day. They don't really give a fuck about what's doing for them. They care about the money. These collectors are very a very different group of people. And what we're trying to do with Blank is we're sort of trying to bridge that gap between Ethereum and FX Hash. The people that own our Blank token, they are people that appreciate art. They are people that will mint this art, art and hold it, hold the art and give it a 
floor price that it deserves because they're not here to just flip and make a profit. They're here because they appreciate the art. I think that distinction you made, um, the idea of NFTs being an index for crypto for me is very interesting because we never had it before and now we have it. Exactly. No, you're you're hundred percent right, and I think that this this also it's like you're already seeing the migration of these art collectors coming into the space because of when when periods like this occur, there is a general drainage of 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 users in the space. There's also just not as many that the activity goes down, and so you're having this these two very very separate demographics or what used to be very separate demographics now sort of kind of, kind of starting to mingle with each other like you know it's like you said like we're, we're trying to bridge this uh, this gap and you know that these collectors are already coming over into ethereum and they're sort of snooping around looking at like okay well what what does ethereum have in terms of art what, what does it have to offer compared to tezos compared to these other chains that are much more much more well known for that for the um, for artists and for art collectors um and likewise you've then got all of these speculators who are now currently obviously they've just dropped so dramatically when there's no money to be made or when there's a necessarily a lot less money to be made than there used to be during the, the bull period you just watch a lot of them just disappear out of the space because they were in it just for the money the ones that do remain think to themselves well what else is there and they and they suddenly get a taste for art collecting and they suddenly get a taste for you know and so you're you're seeing this this kind of almost this intermingling of these two uh these two different um groups and demographics uh which is so so interesting and you and you've defined it perfectly you've defined exactly what these two groups are trying to do the art collectors are there because you know they, they'll 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 buy a piece for 50 grand that's that's the price that they've labeled it they're not looking to sell it for for a loss they're not it's not a it's not a short or medium term investment for them yes some art collectors do buy for the long term an investment potential and they're like okay cool i'll buy i'll buy up all the i mean in the art space it's very very usual to see uh, new artists coming up and then you know a speculator an art collector will just go we'll we'll do a very speculative thing which is go you know what i think that in five to ten years time this artist is really going to blow up so i'm going to buy all of their early pieces and i'm going to prop them up right and they and they do that right and then they hold a monopoly on all their pieces and then and, and then wait five ten years until the artist Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely no problem. Uh, we still have uh, quite a bit of time, and uh, and and yeah, I just wanted to add up uh, to this uh, to this discussion a little bit as well. You know the the uh, kind of art collecting and uh, speaking with these different art collectors, they buy what they like, right? They they don't buy to flip, and uh, from personal experience and from the people that I've talked to, uh, it, it's more like. Buying a generative piece of art or buying a one-for-one -one piece of art, you are holding something close to your chest that is tailored and that is like kind of a PFP that is associated with a project. Because buying a collection, buying one piece of a 10,000 collection, uh, you are holding one out of 10,000 of pieces. But if you're buying a one-for-one, -one, there's only one out there. And you, you're buying it to put it up on your wall or you're buying it to yeah make a decent profit in the next coming years, but you're not buying it to make a flip in the next two or three minutes. You know, uh, yes, of course, there's a lot of people that do this, but personally, when I collect art, I buy what I like. You know, I buy based on what I think the artist will be able to, to do in the future. I also just purely buy... Uh, generative art because they're cool. Uh, the the kind of the artworks I have on FX Hash and the things I showed, uh, Wolfie and Zeppi, uh, they're incredible pieces of 
coded coded uh, encrypted messages. I, I would like to put them right because the statistic is amazing. Uh, you you are able to create a incredible visualization of a concept that you had in your brain using computer code, uh, or you draw it on a piece of canvas and then publish it. And this this type of thing just resonates with me a lot more than a uh, than a regular uh, project that is launched randomly on 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 Tezos or on Ethereum. Yeah, it's 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 so cool actually. For, for me, as a as a long term programmer in my Web two career, I I had never thought, and I, this is only something that I started exploring when I got into the NFT space. You remember this because you were there for my journey of trying to sort of play around with this. Uh, is that programmers can now sort of utilize their skill in and 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 channel that in a creative manner. I mean, programming is an incredibly creative. I've always used to say this because I used to teach a lot of boot camps uh, back in the day and, um, and 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 try to get people into programming. And I would tell them the first misconception about programming is that it's not this monotonous like you know mechanical if statements left, right, and center that you're just like you're because people think you're just you have to think like a computer in order to talk to a computer. We're using code, but it's actually an incredibly creative endeavor. And I'm now so glad to see that you can use code in order to produce these amazing, amazing generative art pieces, uh, programmatic art pieces that is just and and explore avenues that a just couldn't be explored in the traditional art space whatsoever um, because they're fundamentally digital pieces, evolving digital pieces. Which I think, I mean, just seeing some of the stuff that people are coming up with is is incredible. And of course, you know, like some of the biggest names in the space, you know, utilize the generative art, uh, the art style. So it's something that I've been really digging my teeth into recently and I've been really enjoying. But I, I just wanted to also add one really big thing because this is something that I, that I spoke about a couple of times um, in the past and I realized that it's not a big thing. Like, people don't really think about this when they're in the, when, when you're in Ethereum and you're collecting PFPs or you just do, or you come from a flipping background or whatever, like however you've decided to grow in the space or however you were engaging with the, with the space, I should say, let me make the case for you as to why art collecting, you know, cause we've, we've spoken about this a couple of times, like, a, a bit now as well on this podcast and Ben mentioned a, a couple of really, really good reasons and you have as well. But so if I was to try to summarize this idea of art collecting and why you shouldn't, uh, completely fade it right now, but instead pay attention to it. Like art collecting is it is what it was one of the biggest industries. It is one of the biggest asset classes in the traditional web two space. Right, traditional art collecting is a tr- multi trillion dollar industry. That's not an exaggeration. I think really, I think the figure I can't get it off the top of my head, Max. If you know, I think it's like three or four trillion dollar asset asset class. It's ridiculous as to actually. Have- uh, yes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's a huge, and it's an old, it's an ancient, ancient asset class. It's where you could probably say it's one of the most ancient asset classes in existence, right? Like how how long have people been collecting for art for, you know, and, and, and statues and things like that. And, you know, the wars that have been fought, you know, for just a museum to be able to transfer a piece over from one country to another. Like it's crazy. So now imagine that you take that that space and for the first time ever, because this, this is really what NFTs are doing. For the first time ever, you're able to digitize 
that space. Because before that, you there, had, there was no legitimate way. Of course, you had digital artists being able to sell digital art, but that art was literally commissioned art, and there was no proof of ownership to that art. So it wasn't it wasn't collecting; it was commissioning and generating art that wasn't really you know that wasn't ownable as such, quote unquote. It wasn't like being able to own the Mona Lisa, right? If you printed out a copy of the Mona Lisa, congratulations, you had a copy, even if it was a perfect copy of the Mona Lisa in your in your bedroom, no one would believe that that's the real Mona Lisa. Why? Because all of us believe the real Mona Lisa sits in the Louvre in, in, in Paris. Now, take that to its natural conclusion. Like the space right now is going to introduce essentially what is a multi-trillion dollar asset class and for the first time allow you to have digital ownership of that asset class, digital ownership. What does digital ownership allow? It does exactly, it's exactly what the advent of the internet did for the rest of the world. It literally opens up globalization. It opens up fast-paced trading. It opens, like, I can now sell an art piece that w- would normally be sitting in the, in the port of Singapore and only this handful of collectors that go to the port of Singapore to be able to look at these art pieces every now and then um, and be able to buy them. All of a sudden, that's, a, that's an industry that I've opened up to the whole world and anyone with a with a wallet can go and partake in that. That's that, that is anyone with an internet connection and a workable device can go and partake in this industry. I mean, what that will do for the world is I I, I can't even begin to guess. But I think it's yeah, it really is. It really really is. And so that's that would be my sort of I was going to say that would be my message to you know the PFP the PFP speculators and the, and the people who are very used to the Ethereum uh, you know ecosystem of utility based NFTs. Like and don't fade art 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 based NFTs. Don't fade artwork. Don't fade art fade artwork collecting because I think it's going within the next few years we have no idea where it's going to be. But like Ben said, it's it's disruptive to the nth degree. Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, I would like to, uh, I would like to say thank you guys so much uh, for this podcast. You know, we're going to be releasing this podcast to our vinyl holders first. Uh, it will, we will have a dedicated website and Spotify link uh, provided for you guys uh, very soon. Uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to be able to bring to you every single. Uh, curated collection artist that is going to be joining us in the future. They will be on the podcast. They will be uh, telling you guys about their experiences, uh, telling uh, you guys about what their artwork is and how they came up with this idea. Uh, If you want to be the first to hear this podcast, be sure to join our Blank Studio Discord. The BS podcast will be first made available to the vinyl holders via Discord and then released to the public using Spotify and Twitter.